1 Corinthians chapter 3. I don't know if you do this at your house, but when I was growing up, uh, most of my childhood, I lived in a town called Finley, Ohio. Um, I checked with my sisters to make sure I was accurate. Our, our address was 2027 Imperial Lane. And I remember this house. And one of the things I remember about it is that we had in the kitchen, there was an entry to go into the next room. And on the sidewall, it's kind of wide, uh, we had what was called the growth wall. Did you, anyone ever do that in your house? And, and when we were little kids, all the way from we were really small, you know, just a few years old, all the way through high school, um, we would like chart our growth. And so as you're a little kid, you're standing up there and my dad would get the pencil and you look and he put it on your head, you know, and then you're a little kid, you're trying to get on your tippy. My dad, no, you can't stand your tippy toes. And then I'd go like this and try to cock my head higher. I wanted to be bigger. I wanted to grow up. And so you put this pencil on, then you move it a little bit and it'd make a line. And then he'd put my initials next to it. And then he did my sisters. I had three sisters, uh, two older, one younger. And I remember all of them getting their name, their initials. And, and, you, and you, so you're three years old and you get a little mark and you don't know any better. So a week later, dad, do me again. And you, and you think somehow you've made great progress in a week, but you haven't. It's the same, oh, you know, and then my dad probably being nice. Well, look, I think it moved a little bit. I probably hadn't. But we'd mark them and you'd get the pencil and your initials and, you know, you'd keep going up, up the wall and you would grow more and more. And I remember one time when I was 15, between being 15 and 16, in one year I grew six inches. And uh, that was all, but that's all. That, I, I got six inches. And so I remember, wow, I got this mark, and I kept getting another mark, another, and wow, it was a big, and I passed all my sisters, which I was so thankful for. I didn't think I was gonna. And so I got all these little growth marks on there, but eventually, uh, it was a sad thing, um, that all of us didn't get any more marks. And we didn't grow any more taller. We, don't, we didn't grow vertically, we just grow horizontally now a little bit. Um, but we stopped growing. Um, I thought about that, and I thought, what if we did that here in God's house? What if on the back wall, and we're going to start next Sunday, no, I'm just kidding. Um, what if we just measured everybody and had a spiritual growth wall? And you came in, and every quarter or every six months, we would just measure your spiritual growth, and we'd take out you know, God's pencil, and we'd measure it, and then we put your initials by it. And so we start doing that. And maybe, what if we'd been doing it the last year or two or 10 or 20? Would you still be getting marks? Because in physical world, if you stop getting marks, it's pretty normal. I mean, you stop growing taller eventually, right? But in the spiritual world, see, it's never supposed to be that way. We're supposed to keep growing, We're supposed to keep having the pencil put up there. We're supposed to be getting our initials on there over and over again and and, and showing some progression because no matter how old you get spiritually, you're supposed to keep growing. That's the way it is. And maybe you can look back. I love the baptisms fit perfectly today. You know why? Because you remember back when you first were born spiritually? Remember how excited you were about studying the Bible and reading the Bible? You couldn't get enough of it, and you'd pray, and you'd come to church, and you were here at all the services, and someone said, hey, you know what? 
you're a new Christian. You should start doing, and then they tell you, hey, get involved. And you started doing this, and then you sang in the choir and maybe worked in the nursery, or, and, and then you did something else, and you were excited you couldn't be here enough, and you were really growing as a Christian. I mean, things in your life you used to do, you didn't do those anymore, and you changed the way you talked, and, you know, you had different morals and values, and, you know, you were really excited about the things of God, and you were growing and the initials were being put by the marks on the wall. But time passed. And you know what? Yeah, the church services, they're nice, but, you know. And I'm getting a little older now, and maybe I, I don't need to do quite as many things. And, you know, I am really busy and man, tired in the mornings. And maybe you don't get up to read the Bible as much as you used to. And I do pray. I do, Pastor Walker, but... Maybe it's more like for dinner or emergencies or something along those lines. And though you've not been charting it, and although you haven't taken out the pencil, so to speak, if you're honest and look back at your life in the last six months, year, years, maybe you've stopped growing. You stopped growing altogether. See, the Corinthians had stopped growing. Um, In chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says, But I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people. And remember in chapter 2 and verse 6, he called them spiritual, and he said mature people. I mean, people who really got their act together. He goes, I can't call you that. I'd like to, and he's going to tell us in a minute, I really should be able to, but really you're not spiritual people. Literally in the text, it's fleshly people. That's what you really are, like your infants in Christ, he would say. Paul says in our text, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 2, we talked about last week, he says there's really just two types of people. You're either a natural person or a spiritual person. A natural person doesn't have the Spirit of God. They don't really know Jesus. They may be religious. They may have you know, some wisdom from the world, but the reality is they don't know God. They're natural. They don't have his spirit. And then there are actually spiritual people, people who have been saved, people who really know Jesus, not just know about Jesus. They don't just know things in the Bible. The Bible is in them and it's changing them. And he says there are spiritual people, but he says, here's the reality for the Corinthians. They were not adults, babies. He says, you're really not spiritual so much. You're really fleshly in the way that you're behaving yourself. Instead of being an adult, you should be, you are really an infant. And here's the catch that I think really gets at all of us this morning. And here it is. But they thought they were adults. See, they thought that they were spiritually all that. They thought really when it came down to it, they were really mature Christians. And and there's a reason why they thought that, because if you read back to chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul says, you have been enriched in every way possible. I mean, every spiritual gift that was taking place in those days in the Corinthian church, they had it. I mean, they had all the gifts, they had all kinds of knowledge, he said. But they had come to be people that were people who had spiritual gifts, but no spiritual growth. See, they thought they were at the top of the wall, that the pencil marks were way up there. But Paul says it's almost like it's your first pencil mark. It's almost like the first time I'm putting your initials on the wall. Because you should be up here, but you're really down there. But they didn't see it that way. So in our text, what Paul wants to do for them 
that I hope that he, you will let him do for you is radically redefine your definition of spiritual maturity. You see, the Corinthian view was, if I had all the external stuff, if I had a talent, if I had an ability back then, if I was spiritually gifted and I had some knowledge and I could do all these things, then I must be spiritual. But see, they were putting the pencil in the wrong place. They weren't measuring maturity the right way. And you may be here this morning, and you may be a Christian, and you may really indeed think that you are mature. And the reality is you should be. But I wonder if God would come to that conclusion. I wonder if the Apostle Paul was here measuring spiritual maturity the way that he did. Would he think that you are at the top of the wall or the bottom of the wall. See, how do you measure spiritual maturity? You remember watching, it's, I think it's still on TV, you remember Family Feud? And they'd ask you a question and then you get to you know, give an answer. And if you got it wrong, what would be? And what noise? No, really do it like you mean it. Yes, okay. Now, I want you to think about that when I give you the wrong definitions of spiritual maturity. Okay, I'm going to read them, and you're going to do the buzzer. Ready? Spiritual maturity is how much I know the Bible. Thank you. Spiritual maturity is how many years I've been a Christian. Spiritual maturity is how many church services I attend every week. Spiritual maturity is all about how many ministries I'm involved in. Spiritual maturity is how many people come to me for my sage-like wisdom. Yes. Yeah, that, by the way, I hope that doesn't go on the internet because that was really ugly sounding. <laughs> These are, according to the Apostle Paul, emphatically, they are not, hear me, they are not marks or the measure of spiritual maturity. Paul said, you have all that knowledge, you have that giftedness. Verse 2 says this, but I fed you with milk, not with solid meat. You know what I call people like that? And there are some here today. I call them bottle believers. Because they're still on the bottle. There's, they're all milk, but there's no meat. Do you know the only other passage in the entire New Testament that does this milk, solid meat, solid food type of comparison is Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. And what he tells the Hebrew Christians is, hey, the time has come that the reality is you should be eating spiritual meat because you should be teaching other people. But here's what the writer of Hebrews says. But the reality is you still need to be taught the basic principles of the word of God. In other words, you're doing the ABCs and the little spiritual blocks of Christianity and you should be teaching people calculus. Right? But you can't get it, he says. And so babies are on bottles. Then I asked my wife, how long should a baby be on the bottle? And she said, probably nine months, maybe a little longer, maybe a year, I suppose. I've been in the grocery store, and I saw a kid walking around, had to be two or three, still drinking from a bottle. And I thought, wow, really? You're two or three, something's wrong. But then I saw this kid who was 23. No, I didn't. <laughs> no, but seriously, if, I, if you saw someone, would you not think it's crazy? 23-year-old person. <laughs> seriously, no, you, you think, come on, that is outrageous. Well, it would be. Can I say, not just physically. Are you a 23-year-old spiritual baby? <laughs> 
so funny. When I was a youth pastor, we used to do crazy things you could get away with. I don't know if you could get away with them now. But we had an activity where we had two teens, two girls, two guys, and one, little, one teen girl would kind of lay her head in the other girl's lap, and you put a baby bib on them, and there was a contest. The guys did the same thing a few feet away. And it was the baby activity. And so you would have to give them a bottle, and then you'd eat. They'd take a real thing of Gerber baby food, like squashed or mashed peas or whatever it was, and you had to take a little baby spoon and feed it to them. And the first one to suck the bottle down and eat the, ma- you know, the baby food wins. Oh, you should have seen them. Number one, to get someone to do it, they do I'm no baby. I don't want to do that. And then they do it, and they start drinking, and they go, I can't get anything out of this thing. And then you try to give them the food, and they go, <laughs> why? Because when you're an adult, you don't drink from a bottle anymore, and you don't eat that. I don't care if you call it sweet bananas or whatever. It's disgusting. <laughs> why? Because you're an adult. Layla Lardy comes in my office multiple times a week. And she had a birthday not too long ago. And she came up real proudly to me at my desk, and she said, Pastor Walker, I go, what? She goes, I am four. And you know what I said to her? No, you're not. I said, you're two. She goes, I am not. She goes, I'm four. I'm a big girl. I go, you're a stinking baby. You know, she said, she gets all, like, she's going, I'm four. I go, no, you're not. Oh, it was so fun. I loved it. She was laughing, and eventually I got her cracking up. But you know what? She's four, and she doesn't want to be two. Imagine that. Why? Because when you're mature, you don't want to be called anything else, do you? Insult someone one time and say this. You are so immature. Now, see, my, I've been married 33 years, and so I'm, I'm used to it because my wife's been saying that to me for decades. <laughs> and she says it to me, and I go, thank you. <laughs> But you call someone a teenager, you know, say this, when they're bickering with their sisters, I had, or brother, I had three of them. My mom would say, hey, you need to grow up. And then when we were really bad, she would just shorten it down, and then her voice would get real stiff. Grow up! Your parents ever say that to you? That's what Paul's saying in this passage, by the way. You know what he's saying to some of us as Christians? Grow up. You need to grow up as a Christian, See, you're just acting like a baby. See, Layla gets it, but unfortunately some of us as God's people don't get it. And so Paul says, let me give you some insights on spiritual immaturity and what should be taking place. And if you'll see them structurally in the text, if you have a pen or pencil, write them down because it's easy to figure out. Verse 2 says, I fed you with milk, not solid food. And see the next word? There's going to be four of them in our text. The little word F-O-R. It's a connector word. Now he's going to explain what he means about why they can't eat meat, why they're so immature. He's going to say, the first one, four, in verse two, is for you were not ready. And even now, you are not ready. Now see, if you read Acts 18, years previous, Paul started the church at Corinth himself. And it was not easy because he was afraid of being there because he wasn't sure how it's going to go. And so there's a vision tonight. Jesus stands beside him and says, Paul, don't be afraid because I have many people in this city. And some of those people ended up being Aquila and Priscilla, and they were tent makers, and they came to know the Lord, and he started ministering with them. And there was a guy named Justice and a guy, Crispus, who was the head of the synagogue who lived next door. And so these people are getting saved, and God's proven himself faithful. And so 
back then he stayed in Corinth when he started that church for 18 months. He was there for a year and a half. And some great things took place. They founded a church. And then a few years pass, and he writes them 1 Corinthians. And what he says to them is this. See, when I was there for the first 18 months, and you were babies in Jesus, and the church just started, he says, I fed you with milk. And you can under, almost put it in the Bible in the parentheses, and that was understandable. Right? Because you were only 18 months old. This was all new to you. You were just starting out in your Christian life and growing. He says, hey, I couldn't feed you the solid meat stuff. You're very young in the faith. He goes, but that's understandable. But did you see? Look at the verse. See the verb tense change? He says, for you were not ready back then, were not. But notice what he says now. He says now in verse 2, he says, and even now... You can almost, if you, if you hear his voice, you probably hear a little tinge of disappointment, like, and even now, even now, this time has passed, and nothing's changed. Nothing's, you're not ready now. The word ready in the text in the Greek means ability. It could be translated this way. You weren't able back then, and you're still not able. You don't have the ability to grow. Here's why, he says. Because you're not measuring maturity in the right way. You're not measuring it the right way at all. And he says, you should be believers who are growing. If you wanted to say it in today's, he'd say, hey, you're Christians, and it's about time you put your big believer pants on and start working for God and serving God and doing what he wants you to do. My parents um, often had times where they would talk to us as kids, and say, I expect, and this is how they got us to change a little bit, they would say to my sister, who is five years older than me, well, I expect that out of Lance. Thank you very little. (laughs) Because he's eight, but Lorene, you're 13, and you're a teenager now, and I expect, and then he would tell her all about it, so after the initial thing of I'm only seven and immature, I love the fact that she should be different and he wasn't thinking about me. But can I tell you this? Listen, you know what God says? Hey, and put your name in there. And God says, hey, I expect that of Randy because he just became a Christian. But that's not you. Why are you acting like that? You're not one year old in the faith. You're 10. You're 15. You're 20, and you're still acting like that? Isn't that what verse 3 says? Look at the second little word of 4. He says in verse 3, For a while, I'm see, for you are, four, there it is, for you are still of the flesh. You see the word still? See, here's what happens in spiritual growth. See, you get the Spirit of God, but the flesh is still pretty powerful in your life. It's still got your old ways, and they have to die. And as you grow, guess what? The spirit becomes more dominant and the flesh becomes weaker and weaker and weaker. And it's supposed to go like this. But here's what Paul says. You know what? You're not changing like that. There's not growth in your life like You're still fleshly. You're still people who are controlled by the desires to get what you want. And when you don't get it, you would go, wah. Because you're still in the bottle. You're still acting like you're a baby. When you don't get your way, you cry about it and you stomp a little bit. He says, come on, really? How long have you been a Christian, he would say. See, 
he's not mad at them because they started out as a baby. He's mad at them because they've stayed like a baby. So it's one thing to be spiritual, but he says, but let me contrast. You should be that, but you're really fleshly. You're not growing. How were they fleshly people? That is the key to the text. And it's not what you think. It's not the normal ways that you would measure spirituality. So let me tie the second little four with the third little four. In the text it says, for you are still not, you are still the flesh. And he's going to tell them what that means. Here's what immature Christians are like. Here's the thing that marks people who are still dominated by the flesh instead of the spirit. Ready? For while there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh? Are you not? Here's what marks people who are immature. They cause divisions. They cause strife. So mark it down in your Bibles. I wrote it down. Maturity is measured by unity. Not how much you know about the Bible, how much you live about it. It's not whether you pray a lot, but do you pray for people that you have conflicts with? It's not about how you come to church. It's about how you treat the people when you're at church, he would say. See, that's the measure. That's the measure of maturity. The measure of maturity is unity. And he says, and when you don't have that, here's the two characteristics that mark you. Jealousy, and it's, believe it or not, it's the Greek word in which English we get zeal. Don't picture the Corinthian congregation as a bunch of big babies walking around getting all upset about things that didn't matter. That wasn't it. They had some really important doctrinal, moral questions, and they were really divided over them. But it wasn't the problem of the content. It was how they were going about it. They were zealous, overwhelming. We might even say overbearing about that. They were arguing with other Christians and then getting leaders in the church that had come through to take their sides and use the leader's name to get what they wanted. See, they wanted what they wanted in the church and they were going to do anything they had to do to get it, even call up the leaders of the church's names. Strife, that's the second mark. It's quarreling, arguing. Not because we're always going to disagree, It's how we disagree that matters. A way that disagrees, that causes division and disunity, is a sign of a fleshly person, an infant in Christ, someone who should grow past that by now. So imagine at our church, someone says, well, I'm of Pastor Martins, or I'm of Pastor Walker, or I'm of Pastor Crompton, or I'm of Deacon so-and-so, or I'm of, and they, why, they're going to pull in all the weight they can get to kind of marshal their own arguments so that they can win the day. See, when I was a youth pastor, I took over for a guy that had been there for almost 10 years. And this is my first time around, my first full-time job. That's where I met Pastor Steve. And the guy that was there before me, his name's Pastor Jeffers. And so we had a camp that we owned, and we had a big yellow bus and so I got my license, and it was my job. I was so excited. My first summer of camp, and I'm going to go to camp. No one really knows me very well. We didn't have a very big group of kids at the time. And so we go to camp. The kids are excited. They're elementary students. This is first through third grade. We had one week of that, then one week of fourth through sixth grade, one week of middle school, and one week of high school, all in a row. And so 
I drive the bus. I'm excited. The first day of camp, my first week of camp, everything's the first. And I drive in, and I pull the bus up, and I park it. And the one little girl sitting right behind me in the first seat, she looks at me dead serious, and she goes, Pastor Walker? Yes. She goes, that's not where Pastor Jeffers parked the bus. I go, really? She goes, he parked it over there. I go, well, okay then. But I'm not parking it there. <laughs> yeah, that's still me. Um, but you know what? I, you know what? She uh, was a first grader, though. But if she was 21 sitting behind me, hey, Pastor Walker, you know, that's not where the former guy parked it. I go, are you serious? But she was only a few years old, right? So I expected that out of her. And God says, see, spiritual immaturity, it's not about age. And in Corinth, it wasn't about giftedness or how many talents you had. It wasn't about how much you knew. You know what spiritual immaturity was? It was not a lack of those things. It was a lack of humility. It was pride. Pride that caused division and interest groups and selfishness like a baby. And the real measure of spiritual maturity is not getting your way, but getting our way. See, it's not a me-oriented Christianity. It's a we-oriented Christianity. Today, you can be spiritual, and I've heard it a boatload of times. You know, Pastor Walker, I can be spiritual. I don't need to come to church. Because today's measure and definition of spirituality is all about individualism. A radical, self-focused individualism. And it's even come into the church. And people say, I don't need to be back tonight. You know, I don't need church. I can be spiritual on my own. And you know what Paul would say to that? Wrong. You're wrong. You need God and you need others. The word of God is the tool of spiritual growth, but the community of God is the context of spiritual growth. We need each other and we need to be here. Why? Because you come to all the services, you're more spiritual. No, it's not the mark of maturity. You know why we come? Because iron sharpens iron and we need to, even though we don't like it and sometimes we disagree and sometimes there are differences, we need people to give us views and perspectives that aren't our own. So we need to change, and we need both of them. And so Paul would say how you handle conflict and disagreement is one of the most obvious marks of spiritual maturity or immaturity. My grandmother, who smoked a lot and drank a lot of coffee in between cigarettes, would come to my house three weeks of summer every year. And so... She'd go outside to smoke, and then she'd sit at the coffee table and drink coffee all day long. So one time as I grew up, I asked her, I said, Granny, I said, why do you smoke so much and drink so much coffee? And she didn't even answer. You know what she said to me? She goes, don't you ever smoke or drink coffee because it will stunt your growth. <laughs> and then she laughed, and she says, and that's why I'm 5'1". And she looked at me, she goes, do you want to be 5'1"? I go, no, Granny, No. I never smoked a cigarette, and I hate to say it, I do like coffee a lot. 
and I could have been 6'9". <laughs> Our granny would say. But she would threaten me with this stuff. That'll stunt your growth. But honestly, truthfully, can I tell you, pride will stunt your growth. Selfishness, a lack of humility, spiritually, Paul says, it'll stunt your growth because you're not able to grow because you can't get past yourself. Your own agendas, your own purposes. And so you know how he ends the thing? The fourth little word for, he's going to leave it open-ended. Because the last thing he does is he raises two questions. And he doesn't tell them with any certainty whether this is them or not. Because he wants them to figure it out. And chapter 3 and verse 3 has the first question. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way, you're acting by the way you ha- handle conflict with other people. You're acting like you're a lost person, that you're only human, that you don't really have the Spirit of God. He says, you know that's what it looks like, right? And then he says in verse 4, the last little word for, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, you know what he says? Are you not being, I love this little phrase, merely human? Aren't you being like the people at your job who don't know Jesus? Aren't you acting just like your family members who don't know God whatsoever and claim they're atheists? Aren't you doing the same thing when you act like that? He says you're acting like you don't have any spirituality whatsoever. And see, Paul would say this, hey, don't come to church today and think after this message, yeah, I'm not really growing it in my spiritual life, you know, and, and, but I am a Christian. You know? Here's what he says. See, if you're a Christian, you say you're spiritual, but you're not growing, danger. Here he says, danger. Because a lack of spiritual growth and no evidence of the Spirit may mean that you're just merely human. That you're just acting out the world's way of power and the world's way of wisdom. And there is no cross in it. There is no Jesus in it. And the way you handle yourself, maybe you're not growing spiritually. Paul might say, question mark, because you're not really spiritual, period. You see, But he doesn't say it straight to him that way, because he started the paragraph, brothers. But he wants you to know, hey, if you're brothers... Your family, you better act like it. He says, because here's what it looks like from what I've heard. So here's what Paul wants to say. What is your answer? Are you spiritually growing? Are you spiritually mature? Any pencil marks with your initials by them lately? Paul says, measure that this way. How do you treat and respond to others? Let's close in prayer. We're going to sing the same song we sang last week, Open My Eyes, in a moment, in 563. But with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would there be anyone here today? You'd say, Pastor Walker, I can tell you that there's two kinds of people. I'm not a spiritual person. I'm not. I'm a natural person. I don't really know God. It's obvious vertically and horizontally in my life. 
I know about them. I, I know, I, listen, I got a Bible. I brought it today. I, I, I have those things, but I don't really know him. I don't, I don't think there's any evidence that his spirit lives in me. But I would like to know him. If that's the case, would you do us a favor as we sing the closing song? I'll remain here after the service is over. I always do that. If you'd like to talk with someone and have them show you from the Bible how God's spirit can live in you, that you can really know him, it'll change everything. But perhaps you're here this morning and you I'm a spiritual person, Pastor Walker, I know him. But I'll be honest, between you and me and God, I'm not growing. I can look back in my life and there hasn't been any pencil marks too often lately and the progress is pretty slim to nothing and my initials, I haven't even had to write them in a long time. I find myself doing the same habits, defeated by the same sins, giving in to the same temptations, and I act and talk and look at life the same way. I'm no more committed or dedicated to the ministry or the church or the things of God that I was years ago. But I want to be different. I want the Spirit of God to move in me again, to grow I don't want to be fleshly. I don't want to keep having these issues with people in my marriage, my kids, at work, at church. I want to grow. And I know the things I'm doing right now in relationship with others, it's stunning my growth. I'm so concentrated on me. That's a hard pill to swallow, but I said it straight to you. You know why? Because pride doesn't allow you to digest solid food. Only humility does. If you're a Christian this morning and you need to deal with some of the things in your life, would you do that today so that growth can start again? Father, thank you for being here with us. Jesus could say, I know that you always hear me. But for the sake of these people, he prayed. Father, I Pray that people would know that you're here today and that you would so radically move in unbelievers and Christians alike today that people would have to leave here saying only God could do that. Father, may we be mature Christians, not babies. May we pursue unity for the sake of your glory. And we'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.